Welcome to the Crash the Pond podcast. It is a Monday, March 28th edition of the show. And Jake, we had an eventful day today. Today was a big day in Southern California. Uh, it rained? Yeah. That's okay. exactly it. You, you okay. hit it. Uh, you're one for one. Your batting wow. average is it strong. Was, it actually was a complete downpour. Because yeah, I, w- I went out for my, like, I usually try to walk during my lunch. I had an umbrella, took an umbrella with me, made it five minutes. I was like, oh, nope, this is not happening. Yeah, it's, uh, it is actually, I believe, still raining as we record this. So for the people that are listening that don't live in, in SoCal are probably thinking you guys are a bunch of wimps. And that may or may not be true, but it rains so infrequently here that we have to mention it. We just do. I was working out in my outdoor uh, home gym my like semi outdoor and it was just pouring rain as I was working out. It was great. R- really enjoyed that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so post post trade deadline pod, we're a, we're a week removed and the dust is fully settled. The only bit of loose end that needed to be tied up was Evgeny Dodonov. That trade was nixed. Uh, he had a legitimate no trade list that for whatever reason got lost in translation and the trade did not happen. That's it. That's yep. that, that, that's the loose end. Yep. Uh, it it and, almost happened. Yep. And it's a bummer because I think that was one of the best trades that uh, Pat Verbeek had at the deadline. Not saying that the other ones aren't bad, but that was the one I probably liked the most because he's levered in cap space, getting a player that is useful right now and is entertaining at least right now. And then in addition to that, you get a second round pick on top of that. Um, and so, it, I mean, it's no fault to Pat Verbeek's. He's not someone that should be going. GMs don't know other players, no trade clauses if they're on or if they're not. That's something that should be communicated to them. So it's a bummer because Paverbeek and the Ducks did nothing wrong in the situation. They made a great deal. And Vegas and Ottawa's ineptitude. Let's go with that. Yeah, good uh, word. Yeah. Good word. Good sometimes, I, sometimes I pull them out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, uh, cause or, the deal to not or happen. Somewhere, somewhere that we can't, we can't describe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's just one of those things where the the two teams that were kind of responsible for making sure that that was, uh, I mean, in good standing, essentially didn't get it done. And I mean, good on Dodonov to make sure that, and his agent to make sure that he didn't get traded uh, to a place that he did not have or that he had on his no trade list. Um, like you said, though, it was one of those trades that was kind of more exciting for a couple of reasons. For one, because it was a smart trade by Pat Verbeek, but also because I think watching the Ducks the last week, you can kind of see why maybe Pat Verbeek was thinking, hey, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to just bring in another veteran for the stretch run in the next year that can actually provide some offense. Because uh, at the time of this recording, I believe the Anaheim Ducks have lost nine games in a row. And so... Yeah. And and Evgeny Dodonov would probably help with that to a degree. Yeah, I think he definitely would help with that. Although, I mean... If you had to pin kind of what this nine-game losing streak would be on, what if you had to put put it on one thing, what would you probably put it on? Well, we'll get into that. We'll get into okay. that. There's a Fine. couple couple little news items. These are Fine. About, Go a, for it. about as minor as they come. Uh, Josh Lopina, selected by the Ducks in, uh, I believe it was last year's draft. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Th- and he was th- he was in the final. Uh, Final go in the NHL draft for him because I think he was he was 20 years old at the time of that draft. So final year of eligibility to be drafted. 
Yeah, and so he's, he's going to be signing his ELC, or I, I should say he has signed it. He's similar thing to Drew Hellison where he's not actually on his deal until next year. Um, had a very good season this year, his final season of college hockey, point-per-game pace, I believe. I think over. Over, but kind of the, you know, the caveat there is the age and the fact that he was in his final year of draft eligibility. And so if you look at how a Josh Lapina grades out in Byron Bader's model, which we love to use because it at least gives us kind of an unbiased look at how this player projects, um, you know, star probability, NHL, NHL or probability, not too great. It doesn't mean that he can't be a useful roster player. It doesn't mean that he can't eventually help the ducks, but it's not maybe a signing that is going to make a huge difference. No, for the ducks. he seems like someone that is going to primarily probably be an AHL player for the majority of his career. Maybe he's able to make his way into a bottom six role it, it um, seems, in the NHL, but mm-hmm. yeah, it seems kind of odd in a way that the ducks used a third round pick on him. Like that's, that's a, that's a decently, let me make sure I get that right. No, it was a, it wasn't a third round pick. I think it was really? a fourth. I think it was a fourth. Uh, he was drafted nine. Yeah. Round four. You're right. Yeah. Because okay. it was, it was uh, yeah. passage of and Hines in the third round this past. Draft. That's right. That's right. So fourth round, fourth round pick. I mean, I guess it's not as bad from that perspective, but still like just a guy who I don't know what the upside is, but I mean, I mean, Martin Madden does, does deserve some benefit of the doubt because the ducks do seem to be able to turn guys into NHLers. Um, but just, you know, it, it was one of those things where when the signing was announced, there was maybe a little fanfare about the fact that he had this great production in his last season of college. And it's like, well, when you factor in the age, you might want to pump the brakes just a little bit, manage those expectations. Yeah. Cause this would have been his, uh, what would have been his junior year of college. Is that right? Was it, it was his second season in the NCAA. It was. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so his sophomore year. But if you look at, for instance, I mean, Troy Terry in his final year of college eligibility, 48 points in 39 games. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there is at least some sample of someone being about 20 years old in the in college, putting up those points and becoming a pretty good NHLer. And so I guess maybe that's one thing that you can you can look at of maybe he has had some development. The tough part with this is, and this is kind of the, the key thing, I think, with all prospects, is that we don't really have any underlying metrics at all. We're basing everything yeah. off of production. And so we, yep. we don't really have a lot of context. With Troy Terry, at least, back then, I had watched more of his games. I had seen more of what he could do. And so you see that type of game from him, and you think that that level could translate. Yeah, with, because, with the, the, because the thing is, once they, the guys get to the NHL, we don't actually care that much to grade them by their production. So it's kind of this weird corollary where yeah, their, their production in the lower levels gives you an indication of how long they can, how, you know, what their likelihood is of actually making it to the NHL. But we're not usually grading guys on production once they actually get to the NHL. Not solely production. That It, it can factor I mean, in for their impact, but in terms of, uh, go ahead. No, I, I agree. Like, I actually, like, if you were to ask me, like, who's the Ducks leading point getter right now, I, I think I know the answer, but... It's just not something I track that closely. Yeah, well, and I because think neither it, because of it, it's it's so variable. Well, I also think for us at this point in time with where the Ducks are at, just point production isn't what really matters for them. No, but right e- now. even throughout the season, like True. I just I couldn't even tell you who has the most points in the NHL right now. Like it's just uh, not it's yeah, not something that, I look at. That's fair. Uh, oh, you're right. Josh Lupina, sorry, was exactly at a point per game, not over. 
So, yep, you were spot on there. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think interesting signing. Going to sign his ATO. The I think the most fascinating thing actually right now from, I guess, if you want to look at a competitive standpoint within the Ducks organization is the goals. Yeah. Because they are in a playoff spot and they are, I think they're on a hot streak right now. I think they've had one like a, uh, or on a winning streak. Yeah. And they are having a big influx of talent. They're going to have Josh Lapina come in. They'll be able to see how he is. Drew Hellison has already played. Drew Hellison is already playing and supposedly has looked good. I haven't actually been able to catch a game yet, so can't really say one way or the other. Um, And uh, Henry Thrun, by all accounts, is probably going to sign soon. Uh, It's probably just figuring out what type of contract it will be, different things like that. But when he signs, you would assume that it will be a similar deal to Hellison of an ELC that starts next year with an ATO for that remainder of this year. And same thing with Jackson Lacombe. Like, that's three of your six defensemen. Yeah. Like, coming in right right now. And um, it's going to be fascinating to see how they do. Yeah, so the goals have won seven of their last ten. There you go. So they're 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 winning a lot of games, and uh, maybe unfortunate for a lot of Ducks fans to think that that might be the most competitive uh, subplot for the team right now is how the the minor league team is doing. But that's just kind of that's just kind of what we expected at least well, starting a few months ago. Yeah, and I and I think I mean if the goals do make a run in the playoffs, maybe you see Olin Zellweger make an appearance. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Like because- if 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 Everett gets knocked out early. Yeah, which probably won't happen, but anything can happen come playoff time. If they get knocked out early from the WHL playoffs, I would assume Zellweger's going to join the AHL. Yeah, I, I think we're almost getting numb now to just how well Olin Zellweger has played in the WHL. I mean, you saw the tweet from Byron Bader yesterday saying that, I'll just read it out loud, Zellweger, so he has 71 points in 50 games, currently has the highest draft plus one equivalency among defensemen since Adam Fox's first year at Harvard. So Zellweger is a comparative seven months younger than Fox was in his draft plus one season. This guy could be something real nice. So pretty good company. Uh, Adam Fox, yeah, <laughs> who, who last I checked is one of the, I mean, at worst, three best defensemen in the NHL. I mean, it's, it's not to say that Zellweger will have that level of impact, but it just goes to show, again, like we were just saying, the limitations on using points that this guy has a very good chance of just being in the NHL and being a guy who's probably going to make some sort of impact. Yeah, and in addition to that, there was a really good article on EP Ringside. Now we're just kind of going all over the place, but, I mean, that's kind of what we were expecting. <laughs> it's become from this prospect episode. talk. Yeah. <laughs> prospect talk. <laughs> but uh, EP Ringside had a really good article on Olin Zellweger, and Mitch Brown has his uh, manually tracked data, and he was just so far above everything else uh, in terms of, like, the Z score and looking at every every other player. Um and he's just a transition monster. And the article was really fascinating reading how Mitch Brown said, really the only thing that he can kind of work on is he at certain points in time can just throw the puck at net from a bad angle instead of really attacking the more dangerous parts of the ice. But that's something that you can kind of learn. And he even mentions that. And it's like, even if he never learns that, he's going to be a high-level defenseman in the NHL that's going to help generate points. And if he can find a way to learn these elements, he's going to become a superstar. Yeah. And and that's like what you want to hear. So it's not only these NHL equivalency data, which I should point out, I had someone kind of ask, uh, mention this to me on Twitter today, but basically saying that the WHL isn't really a great comparison to the NCAA because of ages and things like that. But that's taken care of when you're dealing with NHL equivalency. And the fact that it looks at uh, scoring rates, I believe that Bader's model takes into consideration scoring rates at those levels at yep. those ages. It's all so, baked in. 
Yeah, so... Otherwise, it'd be useless. (laughs) Yeah, it's meant to be able to compare players from different leagues, and so from a pure production standpoint. And so um, I I think it's going to be fascinating. That's actually a subplot that I I hadn't really thought about because I guess up until a week or two ago, I didn't realize the seventh-place team in the Pacific made the playoffs. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. And I think if we get to see Zellweger along with Hellison, maybe Henry Thrun playing for the goals, I mean, it's... It's going to be must watch, I think. I mean, yeah. th- like, like just the, the concentration of high level prospects playing in meaningful professional games. It's, we're going to have to watch it, I think, because yeah. other people are, because everyone's going to be watching it. Um, yeah. and by everyone, I mean our little, our little bubble of, of ducks observers. 100. But I mean, but I, I think now kind of the interesting question, it, since just to stay on the topic of Zellweger and Thrun, is just what the blue line is going to look like next year. Yeah, because I, I think that that's the, the big question, right, that a lot of people are, are asking is, mm-hmm. now that you don't have Lindholm, now that you don't have Manson, what is this team going to be next year? Yeah. Because right now, I don't think the defense has necessarily been bad. I, I think that it's a little bit overhyped in these last couple of games of that they're, they've been the issue or things like that or that the various different things we'll like that. We'll get into the, that. Don't worry. Defensively, I think they've been fine. But I think, yes, you can look at this defense core and say there are upgrades that need to happen. Yeah. And, and I think that you can easily see that right now there's only really one pair in the Ducks uh, on the Ducks pair or group of pairings that is a legit NHL defense pairing, without which, a doubt. Which would be uh, Schuster. Fowler, yeah. Sh- who, are, who are you talking about? <laughs> Fowler Drysdale, obviously. Yeah, I actually have not looked at their numbers. Um, so I haven't either. I mean, I guess the one thing that I should add here is that uh, Mahura Benoit, which is supposedly a pairing that Akins might roll with um, in tomorrow's tomorrow, game. Tonight, yeah, that uh, that pairing has been good at when they've played together. And so I think that's yeah, something small where sample. It, small sample. It could be something where they're getting sheltered minutes against uh, sheltered opponents. But I mean, that's kind of the point, right? If you can have those guys in a third pairing role uh, and you. By the way, it started to cut in, but mm-hmm. Fowler Drysdale, uh, 43.3 expected goals for percentage. What's 44. the sample? 44.4. Huh? Sample? What's the sample size yet? They are at 100 minutes at 5 on 5. Okay. So I'm pretty, I, I, think, I think that Florida game torched them as it did yeah. for a lot of the Ducks. But I'm just saying, like, they, the results aren't quite there yet. Which, but I think, which I is think, fair. I think that if you give them more time, it will improve. Because Agreed. Fowler is great, and I think Drysdale has slowly improved as the season has gone along. But, yeah, to your point about Mahura and Benoit, they have great numbers together from an expected goals perspective, 57.4 yeah. expected goals for percentage. Like, that's that's really good. Now, I do wonder, you know, moving into next season, what, what Paver – I mean, this is kind of the question about everything, is what does Paver Beek think about this? Because Benoit's an RFA. Um, Mahura has one year left on his current deal – do they see that? Do they see both of those guys as guys that are going to be part of the blue line group just kind of on a permanent basis for next season or with the influx of bodies, you know, maybe there's a trade or maybe there's a guy who's going to spend the year in the minors. Like it's just kind of hard to say because I don't yeah. know if, I don't know if they've really made the kind of impression where these are guys you have to keep moving forward. Yeah. And I mean, this is kind of a, a- a tough situation right because it's hard to fully judge what's going to happen because we don't necessarily have a a book on pat for beak and how he views the team what we do know so far is that he is reworking this roster 
that yeah. that is that is completely apparent to everyone here that he is reworking this roster into exactly what he wants. And so I think in any way of judging uh, essentially what next season is going to be based upon the defense now, I think that that's a, a fool's errand there. And yeah. you're in a much better state of as much as we don't always like saying wait and see. I think that with Pat Verbeek, you were able to say that because he's put in the work to essentially earn your trust with the way he handled his deadline and the, what he was able to say, what he said afterwards. And yep. so the, I mean, the off season's huge for that, but I do believe that judging kind of this team next season right now is not necessarily a fair thing until we have a better idea of what the off season holds. Well, there's just too many moving pieces. There's just yeah. too, there's just too many well, things that could happen. Trades. You know what um, it, it kind of makes me think of what, but in a kind of funny way, I guess let's go with this. Do you remember when the Brendan Gooley trade happened, when the Montour for Gooley in a first happened? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, I and, do. And Bob Murray had said, because it, it left, <laughs> I think, Brendan Gooley playing on the other side. I know exactly where this is going And now. Bob Murray had kind of said, right now, it's uh, it may not look like a finished puzzle, but we, we have multiple puzzle pieces still moving. <laughs> and that comes to mind because I think we gave him the benefit of the doubt back then. We? And as me okay fine me i thought we? you did all i thought we both did but sure fine if you want to excuse yourself from that no i uh, I, th- I think i was probably more in that camp but yeah yeah Continue. And, and as it turned out it, it, he really wasn't uh there there wasn't there anything was... kind of there wasn't <laughs> anything that was left to be done and i think that kind of over time that benefit of the doubt goes away because of things like that i think pat verbeek right now because of the moves that he pulled um at the trade deadline he's earned that benefit of the doubt to have that same type of situation where essentially you are able to say let's wait and see because he's going to do something in this offseason i i would be absolutely floored if this ducks defense is exactly the same as it is right now coming into the start of next season yeah i mean the thing is he could in theory do almost nothing and it would be the same group like they're like the only Real loose end is Schuster, who's a UFA, but you've got Hellison, who's going to be on an ELC. I mean, you mm-hmm. could start the year with him. Uh, you don't actually have to do anything no, if you don't. you're. I mean, Zellweger is signed, so I mean, you could you could very easily just do nothing. But I feel like that's not Pat Verbeek's mo. I feel like he's going to make tweaks, and I mean, there's still the Chikrin file that is yeah. that is left pending. And we don't know where that's going to go either. So, but the blue line is something to watch. I mean, to me, the, the the kind of thing that I'll be maybe watching the most closely is what's going to happen with Kevin Shattenkirk because he's got a year left on his contract, and I mean, he's going to be thirty four. I just really wonder what the what the runways is for that player like that who clearly there's really not a a ton of future there. He's been okay ish to really bad that's kind of been the range for him and does Pat Verbeek just flip him during the summer include him in a deal to make money work I I just I feel like he's I just don't know if he'll be on the team I don't know if he'll last the entire season for next year yeah yeah I I think that's a fair point especially at the deadline uh next season I think he's someone that would be primed to be flipped to go to a contender I think that he could potentially get you second third round pick something maybe in that range uh to get a power play specialist on your team type of deal um so i i could see that definitely happening um and maybe it happens in summer i I think that that's definitely a possibility also i think that 
it's like you said, I think it's not a realm of possibility that there's just internal guys that come in, but I think that no matter what, there's at least going to be one or two guys different on this decor next season. Yeah, I think so too, because I think the way that the season has gone, you can just see, and especially now, and even before, which we'll get into, like there's just the, this blue line is just not quite good enough. And you, you, you need to elevate the, just the ceiling, not just the ceiling, but the floor of this blue line because even on their best day, I mean, Benoit and Mahura have just not really shown to be these like difference makers. Yep. Um, and you're not really asking them to be either, but it's just, no. And that was kind of my point. If they end up being your long-term third pairing defenseman to play kind of softer minutes, that's not an awful thing for them. And you upgrade your second pair. Yeah. My issue with Benoit is that I just don't, I don't really see what he does well yet. It's still like, maybe I'm not watching closely enough, but the tracking data that Corey Schneider has does not paint this great picture of him. He's not great at defending his blue line. He's not a great puck mover. Um, you know, his overall impact when you look at the RAPM model is not great either. So I'm just kind of left to wonder what this guy brings to the table. But he is young. He's 23. Uh, and you would think that given this crazy leap that he's made in, in level of play over the last couple of years that maybe – next year he'll make a bit of a jump. So yeah. I'm not willing to write him off yet. It's just I don't have a firm handle on what he can do. At least at least with Josh Mahura, you already kind of have the the idea of what his strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah, and and I think there is a high possibility that we're going to see one of Thrun Lacombe or uh, yeah. Hellison in the NHL next season, or maybe it will be one of each and they rotate them in and out because, I mean, as kind of the NHL is, it's becoming a younger and younger game. And I think that one of those guys is going to separate themselves and get earn an NHL spot. And I think that even though Pat Verbeek has said he wants guys to marinate in the AHL, I think that he's also said he want if guys are ready and if they are dominating that level and deserve to be in the NHL, they're going to be there. Yeah, let me ask you this. Opening night next season, uh, how many of those guys that you just mentioned are on the roster, if any? I think, I think Hellison will be in the roster, and I think Olin Zellweger is on the roster at an opening night. Ooh, wow. Could be a pairing. I think right-hand, left-hand, Zellweger gets a couple games. I think he eventually does go back to junior, though. Yeah. It, that That's a tough one because it, we've talked about him he already. He seems to be too good for junior. He already. seems to be too good for junior, and you don't want his game to stagnate. And so it's a tough situation of, does going back to junior actually help him? He's dominated it at an 18-year-old level. Well, and, and that's the thing that we always talk about with prospects is you want to see them really dominate their level before then taking a step. Mm-hmm. And the problem for Zellweger is that he has done that, but the next step, the only because of the way that the agreement works, the only next step he can take is actually two steps ahead. He can't yeah. go to the AHL. And so you would, I mean, you would love to see him in the AHL. I think that that would be so ideal, but we can't, we can't have nice things. And so the flip side is now you have to see how he fares in the NHL. And I think next season, depending on how it goes, you give him as many games as possible to feel that out. Because like we just like we were just saying, there's not really a ton of upside to sending him back to junior. Yeah. Because um, it's – I just can't help but think about Jamie Drysdale here and thinking like he got that experience playing in the AHL. And I don't know how much it did help him in the end. But at least he kind of had to. He at least he got that intermediate step between the NHL yeah. and junior. Yep. So, so, anyway, on that note, <laughs> do you want to talk about this week's games, or do you want to do the ad read? What's let's, the next? What's the next l- move here? Let's talk about this past week, and 
okay. get into some of the frustrations. Let's go with that for the past oh week. Oh boy. Okay. We got some stuff to talk about. So let's just start with the fact that, I mean, the Ducks lost all three games. Let's not bury the lead here. They lost all three games. They lost to the Predators. They lost to the Blackhawks. They lost to the Sharks. Um, and in the Predators game, uh, it came out that uh, Dallas Akins was putting Derek Grant, or let me start with this. He was uniting Zegris and Terry finally on a line. Yep. And by doing that, he was also throwing Derek Grant on that line. Meaning we can't have nice things ever. Um, and as it turns out in that Nashville game, he ends up scoring two goals, which then furthers probably the point in Dallas Aiken's mind that Jake, this Jake is working. Rudolph and shambles. Yeah. Two that, goals <laughs> that, that this is working. This is what they need to be doing. And as it turns out, it doesn't continue to work because as it turns out, putting Derek Grant with Trevor Zegers and Troy Terry is not a good idea. And I think that it's just, I think this is a bigger point that you and I have talked about a bunch in our tax messages and we've both kind of put out on Twitter that I think is my general big frustration right now. And my big frustration with Dallas Akins uh, and the ducks aren't in a playoff spot. They, yeah. they basically need to win every single game down the stretch. <laughs> they have to go 15 and zero to be, to hit, I think it's like 94 or 95 points, which would put them basically on the edge of the playoffs. They're not going to go 15 and 0. Even the biggest optimist, the biggest homer in the world won't tell you that they're going to go 15 and 0. They're not winning every game down the stretch. So, with that being said, the Ducks aren't making the playoffs. Yeah. And so what is the end of this season about? And while it's a tough situation because Dallas Akins is fighting for his job, right? Yeah, he is. And so he's probably trying to win as many games as he can, do whatever he thinks is right to, in order to uh, protect his job, get him a job next season. But at the end of the day, it feels like he's almost doing himself a disservice by thinking that way. Because what Pat Verbeek probably wants to see is essentially see what can happen going forward for things for next season. And so what Dallas Aikens really should be doing is trying to put together lineups for the future, trying to figure out these pairs, these line combinations, these things that quite frankly... He did last season when he yeah. put together Comtois, Zegras, and Terry, and he wasn't necessarily concerned about all the minutia of it of it all, and under and understood essentially what was going to come of it. Whereas this year, he's like so locked into this idea that Trevor Zegras requires to have a veteran player next to him, whether that was a a Derek Grant, whether that was Ricard Raquel, whether that's been Adam Henrique, whether that's been Nick Delorier. I really can't think of any time Trevor Zegras has not had a veteran player with him. Yeah. And I think that's completely by design. And instead, a really good way if he wanted to try to show Pat Verbeek, hey, I'm here. I really want to coach this team long term. I'm really invested. Maybe you try to unite a long term line because most first lines in the NHL don't have a plug on them. <laughs> what are you who, who are you referring to there? I, I'm not understanding what, what that term is about. No, you're right. You're right. I mean, you're 100% right. And, and I mean, it's this kind of theme applies to all the games. And some people might say, well, look at the injuries that the Ducks had. Um, you know, Dallas Higgins got backed into a corner having to go with unconventional lines. And that that might be true. I'm not even sure how true it really is. Um, I mean, you know, the Ducks didn't have uh, Aston Reese and Simone in the lineup against Nashville. And so maybe that his hands were tied a little bit and maybe that that excuses it. But as bodies have returned into the lineup, I mean, you saw Ryan Getzloff return to the lineup against San Jose. He has still stuck with that. And I think that what's really, what's really irksome to me is that 
it it legitimately feels like there's not even a thought to development. I mean, you don't seem to care about this as much as I do, but I've I've made a big uh, stink about it on Twitter and on our Discord is that Trevor oh, Zegers. You're 100% right on this, by the Trevor way. Trevor Zegers is not even taking faceoffs right now. I mean, he is like here and there, but Dallas Akins is having Derek Grant take all the faceoffs. And I don't even like, it's like, it's one thing to put Derek Grant on that line. And we know that that nullifies to a degree what Zegers can, can do and Troy Terry can do. They're still performing. But that being said, you're not even giving like you're not even giving Zegers a chance to grow. Like 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 you said, this this season is over from a competitive playoff making standpoint. That doesn't mean that there's nothing to be gained in these games. These games are about the future. And what better time? Like if you're so worried about losing a face off in an important situation, there what better time to tr- you know to be a little more um, I guess to to take Loose. more risks than than now, right? Yeah, this is the time to let Zegers make mistakes. Instead, still playing it safe, still having Derek Grant take the faceoffs. And again, it's funny because we don't really like. I don't really think faceoffs matter. I don't think you do either. Nope. But it's but it's just it's an encapsulation. It, it's, the, it, it's the concept. It shows you how the coach feels about the player. Exactly. Like you're not even giving the guy a chance to to learn. Well, and, so, and, and to that extent, kind of on that same line, I mean, it's really just all development. I think like having Comtois not with Zegers, while we both have like defended Comtois. We've also said he's not that great of a player. We've kind of given both sides of it to really give you all of the opinions. So go back and listen because uh, the last couple episodes, because that's kind of exactly my yeah, opinion I, on Comtois hasn't changed. But at yeah. the end of the day, if you can try to get Comtois going and get his confidence going from the end of the season for him to carry that into next season... To, to essentially build, uh, he's shooting 2%. That's not going to continue. Put him with Zegers, allow, allow that to happen and allow that chemistry to form. And that's going to be much better. You can't tell me that Derek Grant and everyone, please, tomorrow's game, when Grant is on a line with Zegers and Terry, watch how many times that the offensive zone chances die yeah. on Derek Grant's stick. Well, you how many times does the puck turn over on Derek yeah, you, Grant's you, you stick? You saw it in the San Jose game and the Chicago game. I mean, Zegers is setting him up left and right, and it's just all for not well and notice that all of the glorious chances are coming through zegris and terry interchanges <laughs> and anytime that grant scored it's because and good on him for being there he's in front of the net trying to essentially well, block great, out the great, sun great players will find you <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. but he's or he's finding rebounds and things like that but i would rather take a sunny milano on that line or something like that because milano is supposedly close to being back and could be back for tomorrow's game i'd rather take someone like that that can add to that creativity add to that offensive talent and that's what you're trying to build long-term. And to kind of further this point, the power play. I mean, I, I just don't understand the logic behind it. Oh, or, yeah. Like, uh, last night's game, the first power play unit was Jamie Drysdale, Trevor Zegas, Ryan Getzloff, Derek Grant, Jerry Mayhew. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, but Derek Grant, Jerry Mayhew, those guys... <laughs> hey, Jerry Mayhew scored. Those guys should not be on a power play with Trevor Zegas over Troy Terry and Max Comtois. Yeah, if you're a team that's not in the playoffs and looking to develop your players long term, well, and the thing with Contois is that you know I, I was getting asked about him on the on the hot stove series XM show over the weekend, and it's just I get it, I get that he has his flaws, I get that he's got some big flaws, and that he, he needs is, to get going though. But but at a certain point, it's the coach's responsibility to try to get him out of that rut, and as we've said multiple times in the show, Max Contois is not going to 
pull, get out of this playing on the fourth line. No. That's just not the kind of player he is, and that's not the kind of player he will be at this point. And, and so as a, as a coach, you need to, like, I hate to keep doing this, but look at what Marty St. Louis has done with the Canadians. Like, like, look, like in overtime against New Jersey yesterday, Justin Barron, who they just acquired from Colorado, his first NHL game, or I don't know if it was his first NHL, first NHL in the Canadians, puts him out to start overtime. Start overtime, like in a close game. Like that's, and the Canadians have just as much to lose as the Ducks right now. Nothing, like both teams are out of it. And so why, why is one coach in Dallas Aikens completely prioritizing the fact that, you know, prioritizing veterans? I think maybe it comes down to job security. Maybe St. Louis knows he's going to be back next year. Aikens doesn't, but I think it's just a matter of philosophy. And I think Aikens just, his philosophy is clearly behind. You could argue some of these younger guys have either not developed or gotten worse under him. I mean, well, and here's the other Ma- thing. Ma- Max Contois hasn't improved under Dallas Aikens. Well, and here's the other thing on that note real quick before we get to our ad read is that um, if you're Pat Verbeek, you're pissed because even if you want to move Max Contois, yeah, how, this how, is, this, how can you? This does nothing for his value. Like, it, you want him to put him with Trevor Zegras and put him with a Troy Terry so that he can rebuild some of his value and he can trade him in the offseason. So yeah. that that's the point in all of this is what is there to gain by putting Derek Grant with Zegras and Terry? And I don't want to hear anyone say, well, they need protection because... Derek Grant doesn't fight. <laughs> yeah. Like, he doesn't just, hit. <laughs> no, like, just, it, it's not a thing. So... All right, so with all that being said, it's time for a word from our sponsor. Uh, the champions of the of Below the Waist Grooming Manscaped, uh, who are our proud sponsor today, have done it again with the launch of the brand new Ultra Premium Collection. From trimming your hockey pucks to your everyday grooming and hygiene routine, Manscaped is here. After lighting the lamp, hitting the showers, or after lighting the lamp, hit the showers with this all-in-one skin and hair care kit that covers you from head to toe, literally. Manscaped is trusted uh, below the waist. Now trust them uh, with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free, ship, free shipping with the code CTP. Um, so we all know that the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer has the precision of McDavid to trim below the waist. Their advanced, advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts to your most delicate areas. But Felix, why don't you tell us a little bit of this uh, ultra-premium collection? Yeah, so now you can enhance your perfect grooming routine and confidence with their Ultra Premium Collection. This package includes Manscaped Premium Deodorant, not for your balls, for your stinky armpits after hitting the ice. This deodorant dries clear, is aluminum-free, and cologne-infused with their signature scent. Hydrating body moisturizer, so long day at the rink. This will keep skin feeling clean, smooth, and smelling fresh. A body wash to lather you up with their infused aloe vera. Everyone loves aloe vera and sea salt shower gel two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to clean your lettuce with an easy one step plus a free gift a three-pack set of lip balm to keep your trash talking firing on all cylinders so that's four products and a gift inside the ultra premium collection what a score Made with the best ingredients with zero compromise to ensure you don't take a grooming penalty. I'd recommend the products in this order. Uh, One, hop in the shower and scrub-a-dub-dub that body with the Manscaped body wash. Two, lather your hair up with a two-in-one shampoo slash conditioner to keep your noggin toggin. Three, dry off and spray on the hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate your dry skin. Four, put the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. Uh, Body odor is a major penalty. 
Five, pop that Manscaped lip balm on. Chirping has never felt better. The boys will be buzzing after cleaning up with this superstar lineup from Manscaped. So you can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code CTP at manscaped.com. Don't be a goon. Upgrade your hygiene routine with the ultra premium collection from Manscaped to fight your bush and odor this season. Go check them out. Okay. Yep. So a couple of notes here on the last week of the Ducks uh, playing. Troy Terry hits 30 goals yeah. against Nashville. Feels kind of like he's, he's like very good. He, yeah, he he's very good. Let me ask you this. I know that we I just said earlier that I don't really care about production, which is still mostly true. But do you think Troy Terry hits 30 goals again next year? Ooh, that's a tough question. And I'll go um, even further. Do you think Troy Terry hits 30 goals again in his career? So I don't think he does next season. I think he does eventually in his career. What do you think his goal scoring, I guess, median output is going to be over 20. the next few years? 20? Yeah, I think 20 to 25 feels I like think a he, safe bet. I think he's going to be a guy, and this is the one thing I've said a lot about I mean, Troy it's, Terry. It's easy math. You just got to like look at his shooting percentage and just basically bring it down to 10 on yeah. the total shots he's gotten. And like that's yeah. probably how many goals he's going to be getting. And so I think the thing that, to keep in mind, though, with Troy Terry, because a lot of the discussion, a lot of the discussion we always have, right, is looking at shooting percentage and yep. figuring out if guys are really uh, uh, going to be prime candidates for reg- regression next season. And I think that while Troy Terry is going to be that from the perspective of a goal sco- uh, from the goal scoring perspective, I think point production is actually probably right where it's going to be. Because you look at his RAPM charts, his goals four per 60 is spot on with his expected goals four per 60. So on ice production is, or on ice goals four is going to remain exactly the same based upon the way he's playing. He's not out producing what he should be from an on ice perspective, even though he is out producing what he should be from an individual goal scoring perspective. And I think a large portion of that is that his on ice shooting percentage is just way lower than you would expect, yeah. which goes to show that. Even though his goal total is going to come down, his assist total is going to come up. Yeah, and I think that's the one thing to really keep in mind when you look at Troy Terry is that while yes, the argument of uh, regression candidate, very things like various things like that, yes, he is that for next season for goal scoring, but his production is pretty much where it should be. He's probably going to be a 60, 70 point player. Yeah, which is amazing. Um, so yeah, so by the way, so he, sh- his Fenwick shooting percentage, which is block, sh- uh, unblocked shots. So missed shots and shots on goal, uh, 15.23%. His expected Fenwick shooting percentage is 9.46. So he is out, out shooting that from that perspective. Um, yeah. but give me one sec and I will get his on ice shooting percentage though, in all situations also. But, uh, where do you think he will end up at? I don't think he's going to get 30 goals next year. I do, do think. You- He's going to hit it again at some point in his career. Yep. So on ice shooting percentage is at 11.76. So basically right where you would expect. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm, I'm just, my only concern is that he's not going to, because he's very unlikely to hit this goal scoring total again next year, that we're going to get narratives. Oh, we're gonna, we, we're, we 100% are. It's, we're going to get, yeah. we're going to get lovely narratives about confidence and, you know, mental states and just all of that kind of riffraff that well, you know is going to that that you know is always tied to shooting percentage. Let me ask you this cuz mm-hmm. there is something to shooting skill, right? Yes, there is. 
And I think that that allows got certain guys to shoot a little bit over league average. Do you think if Troy Terry long-term is placed with Trevor Zegras and they are able to uh, build chemistry, build off one, one another, and really form a good partnership, do you think Tre- uh, Troy Terry could become a career 13% shooter? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility um, at all. I just think that it's it's really hard to say because right now Agreed. the book that we have on Terry is so split where you have this crazy year mm-hmm. and then you have years before that of not even close. Yep. So, But I do think that if he d- does end up being really joined at the hip with Trevor Zegers and just kind of the progression you've seen in his own skill level, right, where he's able to create more dangerous shots, get to more dangerous areas, I think that that probably helps him from just really crashing back down to earth. I think that it keeps a healthy floor for him. So I would not expect for him to hit 30 goals next season, but I do think that he's not going to – I don't think he's going to have this catastrophic drop-off either. Do you think he scores over 65 points next season? Uh I feel like that's kind of right about where he's going to be. <laughs> yep. So I don't know if I'd go over on that though. Yep. But that's still a great outcome. For yeah, him. exactly. A 65 point player. And if Trevor's egress can eventually become over a point per game and he's kind of riding shotgun there, that's a That's well, a I great mean, combo. And people again need to remember that he's a guy making 1.45 million a year. Yep. But like yep. he's, this is all just gravy. Whatever's mm-hmm. more than gravy. Like he, he is that, um, yep. I icing on top of the cake. Sure, let's go with that. Cherry on the Sunday. <laughs> Do you eat the cherry, by the way? On the Obviously, one hundred percent. Why? Looks, gro- looks of gross course, to me. of course you don't. Of course. <laughs> Have you ever tried it? No comment. Have you ever tried it? No, no comment. Is it? Is this another thing that you just have not tried and are crapping on? I didn't crap on it. I just said I. I'm not a fan. You said it. You said it looks disgusting. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's. Like that can be. I, I don't need to have tried it to, to make that why, statement. Though. Wait, why does a cherry on top of a, a Sunday look disgusting? Cherries look great. Well, because they add color. Well, no, but it's because it's that like pickled cherry or whatever, whatever. However, they yeah, get they're that. delicious. It looks nasty to me. Have you never eaten a maraschino cherry? I think I have, but I just give me a real like normal cherry. Yeah, Tybal, uh, Tybal the fiend blooded says looks like Felix is already into the bad food taste segment. <laughs> Look, it's just I'd rather have a, a nice normal cherry than a warped cherry. That's all. I don't think it's a crazy take. Have you never had a Shirley Temple? Uh, I think I might have. I think I have. Did you like it? I mean, probably. I mean, it's probably been years since I've had one. Yeah. All right. Sounds familiar. You're Sounds hopeless. Familiar. You're hopeless. <laughs> wow. Just uh, really, really sticking it to me. Eh? Um. Okay. And then the other noteworthy milestone milestoney thing is uh, Sam Carrick hitting 100 games. 100 games, first uh, two-goal game, right? I think that yeah. was... So good for him. Uh, I mean, it is actually a pretty big accomplishment considering kind of his career path. Yep. And, and just the way that uh, it didn't always look like he was going to get there. I think that those are always the best stories is guys who really, really had yeah. to earn it. And he's someone that I think has really had a good season. I, I think he's... What a lot of people think these different Ducks forwards are. You mean Delorier I mean, and Grant? Delorier, Grant, Silverberg, Lundestrom. What yeah. everyone thinks those players are is actually what Sam Carrick is. Yeah, exactly. He's been a, a responsible defensive forward. He's been actually really good defensively, really good at suppressing the other team's offense. Good on and, the penalty kill. 
Yeah, actually good on the penalty kill. Unlike literally everyone else who gets discussed as being good on the penalty kill for the Ducks. Yep. So, yeah, it's just a great story, and I'm actually like genuinely happy for him. Yep. I also, and I think I also that- think I, I also think I saw him in Irvine the other day. I was like, that looks like Sam Carrick. Anyway. Did you say what's up to him? No, no, oh. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do wow. that. Wow, missed your opportunity. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I would have gotten out of that, but. Uh, I don't know. I'm a big like leave people alone. Sure, just like Derek Grant, like that different different <laughs> circumstance, different circumstance. Um, anyway, so yeah, good for Sam Carrick. Happy for him. Other thing I wanted to discuss: uh, yeah. Ducks new additions that we got to see this week. Zach yeah. Aston Reese and Dominic Simone. Your your thoughts? Um, I think Aston Reese is kind of as advertised. He's essentially very good defensively, not going to give you much offensively, yeah. really good at shot suppression. And that really came to show. And I think having him with Sam, Sam Carrick was really interesting. It doesn't sound like that's going to be a thing moving forward with the fact that it looks like it's going to be him on a line with Lundestrom and Simone um, for the next little bit. And so I, I think that he was as advertised and I think he could be a useful piece long-term. Dominic Simone is interesting also where, I think I wasn't able to watch the Chicago game because I was not in SoCal. I was busy on a vacation, uh, but I did watch the game uh, on the weekend against uh, the San Jose Sharks. I think Simone really stuck out at various points in time, and he set up the Mayhew goal basically yep. with, with his rush. He did have one play that led to a breakaway against where he was absolutely gassed and couldn't get back by kind of making one too many plays at the blue line, but he does have some hands, does have some ability, and I think that putting him with Ryan Getzloff would be is an interesting thing, and I don't let me ask you this. Do you understand what this Jerry May- Gerald Mayhew kind of experiment is? I don't know what to make of it. <laughs> yeah, I I actually truly don't understand it, uh, where this is coming from. I'm sure there's a reason. There, there, there has to be. But there yeah. has to be a reason, but it feels a little bit out of left field. I mean, to me, I just view it as roster filler. Yeah. I just view it as they just needed but- bodies. It's just odd that he's, like, taking this top six role, right? Especially with Max Comtor right there. I, I think that's the odd thing to me is, like, this is a guy that's been a career AHLer. Sure, he's been good in the AHL, but he's never really been able to stick in the NHL, and I think that's probably for a reason. And it's just odd to me that he's being given these prime roles over other guys from within the system. Yeah. And I think that, that that's the weird thing. And not necessarily even talking about – uh, uh, Perot or Tracy, because I think at this point in time the thought no. process there is let them stay in the AHL and let them uh, let them lead the goals on this run. I'm more talking about the Max Comtois, the uh, Sam Steels, who granted Steele is sick, but still like could have played an elevated role. It feels like a waste of a roster spot to me. Yeah, but I, I I also think that when they, I mean, the Ducks are dealing with this kind of like flu bug, flu bug. bug. Yeah, something. There's been injuries. I'm just kind of willing to believe that this is just like a roster yeah. filler type situation. That's and as completely fair as they get healthier, it is a little odd. He's played fine. I mean, he scored, yeah. um, but I don't, I don't, I mean, he's a drew, drew like five penalties in the first game that he played. Yeah. He's a, he's a free agent this summer. I don't really know what the future is there. Just, yeah. I think, I think reading between the lines, it feels like one of those guys that, Pat Verbeek wants to bring in so that the younger players can see, okay, this is like, this is a pro who's worked himself. Yeah, that's into, a good point. And kind of just like an example type player. I think that that's what it's kind of about. Yeah. But, but I have liked what I've seen from Dominic Simone, Zach Aston Reese as well. Like it, it's funny, just like the upgrade of seeing competent NHL players compared to what the ducks 
have had at various points in their bottom six. Um, and I guess Simone's been playing in the top six, but it, there is a pretty big disparity there. I mean, Simone can make things happen with the puck. He's not this great playmaker or shooter, but he can just do enough to, to be in the right spots or get guys in the right spots. And then I think Aston Reese skates pretty well, and he uses that to really put on the pressure on the forecheck. So it's good additions. It's it's guys who could, again, help the team next year. For right now, I mean, the case you're making about Mayhew, you can make it about Simone and Aston Reese. I mean, That's you fair. know... You, but you, but you, I think you, that they are at least NHLers. Yeah, and you know why they're there because, in, in terms of the acquisition with the the Raquel deal, you got them basically for the salary. But yeah, I don't I don't mind it a ton. It is just odd though to to kind of prioritize that as opposed to just getting, you know, younger guys. But again, the Ducks are dealing with this kind of rash of sickness, which isn't COVID, thankfully, at least as far as we know. So they. Um, they're just, I think, trying to survive this. Yeah. Little Can way. I also say that uh, I legit that the Sharks game uh, got Mayhew and Letary confused multiple times because they both are very similar stature and one wears twenty six and one wears twenty eight. Yeah. yeah, it was I on could... the power play that I thought the first. I thought on that first power play unit was Letary at the beginning, and turns out it was Mayhew the whole time. Yeah. Well, so today we had the whole consternation of the fact that. You, it looked like Steele was out of the lineup as a healthy yeah. scratch because, in, and in and in his place, a Vinny Letary or a, or a Jerry Mayhew. But as we found out, Steele is sick, and yep. so he can't play. Yep. Although um, I, I kind of feel like an idiot now because I went on this whole rant about how St- Steele is. I've had a couple days of rants in a row, and this yeah. you know you're you you win some, you lose some. But I stand by what I said, which is that I think this this the hate that Steele has received this year especially feels overstated because he has actually been, I mean, at least from a RAPM statistical impact perspective, he's, he's been, been better. He's been he's better been okay. than Isaac Lundestrom. Yeah. And, and I think that this is something we, we were kind of talking about before we went live, but um, it almost feels like Isaac Lundestrom is on the path that Sam Steele was on, where he was overused, overvalued by the coaching staff yep. in, in his younger years and put in situations to fail and maybe is being has a little bit of the goals for luck going his way uh, or essentially shooting luck going his way, whether that's goaltending, whether that's him individually shooting, things like that. I mean, and he's shooting 20%. Yeah. And so that's going to come crashing down. Why, why is it, no one talking about that? But they, yeah. but, they but, but they talk about Terry's 20. Yeah. It's funny. But yeah, yeah. It, with Terry, there's at least underlying metrics that look good with, St- with Lundestrom and that's not necessarily there. And so it's something that it feels like a very similar path where he gets overvalued, uh, as compared to what he actually is. And then when he is actually, when his play represents or the results represent what his play actually is, people are going to really be disappointed. And it, it, this is just the whole conversation, right? Of, understanding value, understanding what players are and having proper expectations. I mean, it's the whole Nick Ritchie argument again, right? Of that we, yeah. we had for years of years and years and years of people expecting him to be a top 10 pick. And if you actually just took him for what he was and actually set your expectations, correct. He was a good player at that level for that contract. Well, and also, I mean, Steele was a 30th overall pick. Like, yeah, p- people talk about him. Like he was a top five pick. Well, People also have, uh, what's the best way to put this? Um, uh, 
uh, I can't really think of the word that I that I want to use here, but uh, essentially the Sam Steele experience of his junior production, I think, well, yeah. is tainting Olin Zellweger, for instance, because people see Olin Zellweger and like, well, Sam Steele was also great in junior. Yeah, it's just not. I mean, it's not even close that comparison. No, no, what no, no. What, what is interesting though on, on Lundestrom is that last year he shot eleven point five percent. So this year he's still wildly above that, but. Maybe, I mean, maybe he is one of those guys who's going to have a slightly higher shooting percentage. I mean, the thing is, though, if his shooting percentage was basically halved right, halved right now, he'd have seven goals. And I just don't think people would be talking about him nearly the way that they are. I, I really honestly think that the, that his the goal scoring this year has totally colored the way that people talk about him. I mean, even looking at the stuff that people tend to give him credit for, he's winning 45% of his face-offs. Like, I just... Again, I don't really see where the hype is coming from. The other bone that I want to pick that uh, I had to forcefully refute and repudiate on Twitter yesterday is this notion that the Ducks are playing poorly since the deadline because of the moves they made. And in particular, the one that really got me going, that really got my goat, uh, is the notion that the Ducks' penalty kill has gotten so much worse because they traded... Manson and Lindholm at the deadline, and and also Delorier. Here's here's some numbers for you that I dug up yesterday while I had I was three espresso shots deep. So before the trade deadline, the Ducks were 19th in expected goals against per 60 while shorthanded. So you know bottom tier in the league, they're not that great at suppressing offense when they're killing penalties that that's independent of whether they go in or not it's just telling you where the shots are coming from how dangerous they are how many they're giving up since that time since the trade deadline they rank 20th so their ranking has stayed essentially the exact same since the deadline it's a tiny sample but the the difference in perception is that before the deadline they had the best save percentage in the league shorthanded and now, since the deadline, they have the 31st ranked save percentage. That's literally it. That's the difference. Yeah. Just not getting saves. Like, it's not about Lindholm being gone. It's not about Manson getting being gone. It's not about Delorier being gone. And if you actually dig even deeper into the numbers, Delorier was not a highly ranked uh, defensive forward on the penalty kill. Nope. L- Lindholm was decent, ranked 65 out of 191 um, in terms of d- defensemen who played the minimum 20 minutes on the PK. But Manson was 165th out of 191. So really, you have two guys in Delorier and Manson who are not really making a huge difference. And then you have Lindholm. And then if you go even further, even further, Lindholm and Manson weren't even their most used defensemen on the on the penalty kill. Fowler's averaging the most minutes shorthanded. And Lindholm was actually fourth behind Shattenkirk. Manson was second. So... Anyway, this just this this idea that the moves that the Ducks have made have really cratered them on the penalty kill. Well, maybe that ends up being true in the long run, in the however many games there are left, fifteen, I believe it is. It's not true right now. It's making yeah. no difference. Well, and I think the other like, thing that, that like that, j- just to quickly round out, if it was true that those guys were so important, then their expected goals against ranking would not have dropped by one spot. It would have dropped by ten. Yeah, and I also think that the other thing that's so important to to really kind of say here is that goaltending's been bad since the All-Star game. John Gibson has one positive GSX, GSAX game yeah. since the All-Star break, and that was against the Panthers where the Ducks got absolutely worked. 
and he was good in that game. But I mean, against Nashville, four point seven seven expected goals against six point, and this is in all situations, six point four eight actual goals. 3.97 expected goals against against Chicago, 4.18 actual goals against. 1.72 expected goals against against San Jose, and this was Dostal, but th- and 3.92 goals against. The Ducks haven't gotten goaltending in, in yeah. a long time. They really haven't gotten proper goaltending. And so if you want to really look at what's the issues I mean, since with this the All-Star team, break, really. Yeah, what what's the issues with this team? And not saying this team's been that great at 5 on 5. They've had their ups and downs. They've had their good games. They have they've had their bad games, but this hasn't been a tire fire of a team since uh especially since the trade deadline. It's been they haven't gotten great goaltending. And yeah. while you can maybe uh let's sharpen the pencil <laughs> on some of the goals against um uh, at the end of the day, the big picture it doesn't look good. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, it's one of those things where that does tend to make things look worse than they might actually be. I don't, but it's also on the flip side of that, on the other side of this coin, I also think that the Ducks are kind of reaping what they sow. I should say Aiken's reaping what he's sowing because the lineup decisions have not been optimal. Yeah. That doesn't help either. Yeah. And I think that one thing to, to, I think, make clear here is that you and I both think that them winning games at this point isn't helpful. Them it's not, it's ga- not in – so, yeah, that's – sorry, carry on. This is going to be a good point. Carry I know. I, I know. I, 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 I agree I was, with you. I was, I, teeing agree. you up, I was teeing you up right now. But, I'm, I'm, uh, getting, I'm getting fired up just hearing this. <laughs> them winning games is not really of importance right now. It's better, actually, that they lose games to improve their draft odds because picture if this team is able to win the lottery and get Shane right. Oh, boy, next season would be fun. But that – you can have that opinion of them losing games is better while also – wanting the team to be able to have progress and have the proper process even if they're losing games and i think the issue right now overall with this ducks team is that they're not having either of those and the goaltending's bad the process from the coaching staff is bad and the results are bad and so it all doesn't feel great right now and i think that's the biggest issue and i think that you can stomach the results if guys are just being are allowed to just kind of test things out basically yeah yeah and and so i I think that's the biggest issue of you can have these multiple beliefs of it's better that they lose and this is actually good for the tank while also not being okay with the way that they're getting there yes and so that's the whole thing is that playing out the string they could just do that they could just do whatever let akins go full akins for the last 15 games and season ends, they go to the draft, he gets fired, and you just move on. But every game is an opportunity. Every game is an opportunity to further along this rebuild. And so people were getting mad at me on Twitter when I was kind of going off about the the last few games and saying, oh, well, you're flip-flopping. You wanted this. You wanted them to lose. And now you're saying that they need to be better. And it's like, no, no, that's not what I was saying. The wins and losses do not matter. It's, it's process over results. And there needs to be some energy. The, the young players, the guys who are going to be foundational pieces of this team for years to come, need to be getting something out of these games. And I, it's just too perfect of a comparable. I'm going to keep making until I can't. But look at how the Canadians have handled the end of this season. They have turned what was one of the most depressing, bad seasons in the franchise's long history. And they've made it like where I, as a fan of that team want to watch every game. Every game is appointment viewing. And you hear players even talk about it, like Jake Allen after his crazy performance against Toronto saying that, yeah, we're out of the playoffs, but it still feels like the games matter. 
Like, that's essentially what he said. And the Ducks don't have that at all right now, it feels like. It feels like there's just not a lot of energy in this group, and you've got to find a way to get that. Whether it's giving players, younger players, more opportunities, more slack, more a benefit of the doubt, letting them make mistakes, or maybe call up. I mean, maybe call up for a game or two at Jacob Perot. Just do anything to get some energy into this lineup. Try things that you wouldn't. Make it make it your own little season. And and go from there. But right now, the way that Dallas Aikens is handling it, and this does land at the feet of Pat Verbeek a little bit, of just kind of doing what they've always done and trying to eke out these these games uh, in, in this kind of slugfest style, it, it's just not doing anyone any favors. Like, it, you, yeah. you, you got you, you to gotta go down swinging at this point. Yep. And that's all, all right. that matters. And, and it, if whether that leads to more wins or not is, is immaterial. It just, there has to be some kind of process. Um, all right. So want to get questions now? Sure. All right. So we're going to start with, didn't think we'd get here. Didn't think we'd get here. Uh, so we're going to start with questions from our discord. If you want to join our discord, go to patreon.com slash crash the pond. Uh, this came in at basically right after we had finished recording last week. So we'll ask it now. Uh, Travis bear asked, why do you guys, uh, or why do you guys love Kevin Fiala with his uh, age at 25, almost 26? So that is a good question. He's definitely a borderline case where maybe the age isn't perfect, but the Ducks are about to take a step forward. A lot of their young players are going to be entering their primes. Kevin Fiala is still kind of in his middle to early prime. He has such a great statistical profile. He's, his skill set to me is exactly what the Ducks need more of, a great shooter, um, that I think it makes it makes enough sense. It's not perfect, but it makes enough sense. Yep. Uh, let me see. The next question comes from, uh, I believe it was Appa AG said, how many more seasons of Gibson underachieving before serious talks of trading him? Well, supposedly those have already, I mean, I don't want to say they were serious, but reported on deadline day that the ducks were listening on Gibson. Uh, this was, this was on NHL network, David Peñota from the fourth period reporting that. Now they weren't. I don't know how much they were entertaining the offers. We don't know how serious any of those talks got. It doesn't sound like they were. But I think listening is an upgrade from hanging up and listening. If if you know what I mean. So I don't. I I feel like we're there. I feel like this. Like I'm already this on summer. I'm already on Gibson trade watch this summer because I really well, feel like Pavarbeek has to be looking at the situation and thinking he might have another bad year and then what like how how much can i get for him then yeah yeah and it's maximizing his value and this may be it um all right app ag asked how many or also asked how many cups will zegris win in his career Ooh, that's a tough I'll, one i'll be happy with one i think one is probably the fair bet i i'm ho- i'm happy with one i'll take two though I, I'll take two. I, I really do think that the Ducks are going to win a cup in the next 15 years, which probably sounds like a really like vanilla take, but I I think they get one, and I think Z, I mean, Zgrass has to be a part of that. Yep. Uh, Darko Theory asks, is there a good reason for not calling up some of the goals rather than playing our subpar NHLers other than the waiver situation? I've got one on here. You only allowed five call-ups, non-emergency call-ups, from the AHL after the trade deadline. So basically the Ducks, uh, and I don't think they've actually used one yet because Gooley and Dostal and all those guys were technically emergency call-ups because of guys being sick. So I think that that's a good reason is that you're only allowed a certain amount of them. I think the other reason is going to be allowing them to essentially lead the way for the goals into the playoffs. 
Yeah, I legitimately think that a lot of the guys that are down there right now kind of should be down there. I think that they're benefiting from being down there. And I yep. don't I don't know if I trust Dallas Akins to to get his paws on him right now. Yep. SP84 said, do you guys think Verbeek is giving Akins enough rope to hang himself at this point? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I love that that analogy, but... It, uh, it's, a, it's a term. Have you never heard that saying? Well, I, I don't know if I like the saying, regardless. Okay. It's enough. a bit dark. But the point is, yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe Verbeek is just letting Akins coach his way out of the job to make it easier to fire him. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Lewis X two nine said, "Was the Chris Rock Will Smith altercation a work or a shoot? It's a shoot. <laughs> it was a shoot. It was a shoot. It was not a work. I can't believe we actually have to even at all talk about this on the show. I'll just defer to your answer there. It was a shoot. One hundred percent not a work. Um, and then SP eighty four off the top of your head, could you construct a rough top ten Ducks prospects currently?" And uh, said Zegers and Drysdale are not included because they're not prospects. Uh, well, I think one and two. McTavish, guess, and, McTavish I, and then Zellweger. Yeah, so I don't know if we can do a top 10 right now. That would take some time. But I think the, the biggest question is just who you would have at number one. I is think it, number one it, has to be McTavish. Number two is Zellweger. You would go McTavish based on pedigree? Yes. Just the Draft fact that he... Was, Draft drafted, position, right. every, everything like that. I think that that leads me to, to having him number. But which number player one. would you, would you rank number one? Just that, like the player that you think is. I, the best. I would still probably do Mason McTavish one, Zellweger two. I think McTavish just has a higher floor. We yeah. just don't as well as Olin Zellweger has played. Maybe we're not high enough on him, but there's still a little bit of that uncertainty. Um, just how he'll handle it physically at the NHL level. Who do you have as three? Let's just do a top five. Who do you have as three? Uh, is it Sasha Pastajov? Is it Jacob Perot? Is it Sasha Pastajov? Is okay, it... so that's right. Perot's still in this mix. Um, I think it's probably Jacob Perot. I think it's Perot also. I, I think that, you know, I don't know if this season, what it's really done for his stock. I mean, he's got 36 points in 48 games in the that's AHL. not bad for a 19-year-old in and the he's AHL. only ni- he's only 19, so I think that, that that does bode somewhat well. So I would probably have him number three just because I feel like he's I feel like he's at least gonna be an NHLer. You know, with number- Passage with Passajov, I mean, do you have Passajov four? I don't know if I do. I, I yeah. think that there is still some risk there. As much as I like the guy, I think and like the player, I don't know if I would have him at four. So who's four? Dostal? I think probably Dostal, and then it might be it's either Hellison or Thrun. Uh, or Hellison or Thrun or Pasajov in that next mix. Yeah, I think that that seems fair. I think those tiers those tiers are correct. Yeah, and maybe Callie Klang is working his way up also. He's been impressive from well, yeah, from I mean, data. We've got to start thinking about Callie Klang because I think the Ducks are, are thinking about him quite a bit. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I guess Lucas Alvenis is too too old to be in this mix. Um, I mean, yeah, I, Z- I Zegers yeah. and Drysdale have graduated, so you can't no. I mean, so Braden Tracy's and Benoit Benoit Grew are just not in this conversation. They're much lower for me. I just think neither of those guys have. They're a different much, tier. I just don't think they have much of a ceiling. Is the is yeah, the issue. and and I mean Tracy may become something, and I think that there it's more likely that Tracy becomes something than Grew does. By the I way, think. Uh, on a side note, looking at uh, Byron Bader's uh, model here, the difference. So the difference between probability of becoming an NHL goalie 
for Clang and Dostal, the difference is 5%. So Dostal is at 55% and Clang is at 50. Yeah. So like Clang is, we might yeah. be underrating Clang a little bit. Like I think, and he's, he's a lot, I mean, he's decently younger than Dostal as well. 19 years old. Yeah. So I think like, like if, I think a we, lot of people are underrating that part of the Raquel trade. I feel like it's a huge part of the Raquel trade. No, and people are talking about him like he's a throw-in. Yeah, he's not. I mean, he's a solid prospect. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know if the the. I mean, I, I think that the the Penguins made that deal because they know what their window is. But that's not a guy you're like happy uh, to give up. And so, by the way, I mean, Perot's star probability has gone down uh, since his draft year in Bader's model. But his NHL probably has gone up. So, like, that kind of checks out where, like, maybe the draft year hype was a little bit overstated, but he's still a guy who I think is going to play in the league. So, yep. Uh, Jeremy asked with Troy Terry blowing up and increasing his stock, what is a reasonable contract for him? Considering he'll all in all likelihood regress next year in terms of goal scoring percentage wise, at least 21 per, uh, due to 21% not being sustainable. Well, see, so, so first off, I mean, do you just give him the eight year contract? I would give, uh, what's he, 25 right now? I would give him a five-year deal. Five he's or 20, six. He's 25? Yeah. He's 24. 24? Going to be 25? He's going to be 25. He's 25 in September. So yeah. 25 at the start. So I would give I, him a five-year five, uh, five extension. Take him till he's 31. Yeah. Would he sign that, though? Uh, good question. Don't know. <laughs> um, I think if you gave him a high enough AAV, then he would. What's his? What's the AAV that makes sense? So like six? Six, six range? Probably six. Yeah, I don't think he's... You're getting his prime years, prime production years. Yeah, I think... I mean, reading the tea leaves with Verbeek, term does not seem to be something he wants to hang out, hand out, but Terry is also part of this core that he wants to really yep. feed. Yep. So I think, I mean, I think six years... I don't think you're going to get him on five years, personally. I, I think you can get him on five years if you make the AAV high enough. You're. I think you're going to have to get closer to seven. If Maybe. It's gonna be, I mean, I'm, I'm not an expert on this at all but that's no, just my gut feel yeah i i think he'll get five years i think five i think probably five years it's five or six mil yeah i would say six okay i think i think six feels right yep jj stone drums uh said what's your preferred area to sit at live games i like being higher up behind one of the goals so i can see the whole ice with little head movement my preference is the corner of the ice where the duck shoot choice whether that's because uh, that's where you sit <laughs> That's yeah, where your no, seats are. But actually, my favorite <laughs> no, but my favorite seat is actually the last row of the lower bowl. Last row of the lower bowl, directly in the corner. Interesting. Where it's low enough where you kind of get the the speed of the game. Well, it's also high enough where you have a really good angle. Yeah, I actually kind of like uh, I kind of like to be in the nosebleeds a little bit because I just like to see the whole game. Yeah, I don't I don't like having to because I feel like when I'm really close. I, I kind of lose like I lose the the scale and the perspective on the as, the as the play is developing. Like from an entertainment perspective, I love being as close as possible because yeah. it's it's just more fun. But to really take in the game, I would say ideally the last row of the lower bowl, but on along the along the sides, not not in the corners. I would say like facing facing center ice. See, I don't like being at the at center ice because uh i feel like you don't your best view is of the neutral zone yeah but i just like it because it's closer to the tv angle <laughs> so that's it's, fair it's fair. just like what i'm used to looking at fair um and app ag said how many goals from zegris next season how many Ooh, points 
It's just so funny because again, I just don't think about this at all. So let me. I'm gonna go with Zegers has an 82 has is over a point per game next season. Well, look at the Jack Hughes progression. I feel like it's not a terrible comparison for Zegers. Um, like similar skill sets. He's got 47 points this year in 60 games with like horrendous utilization by his coach. You think he makes the leap to point per game next year? Yep, I'm calling it. Yeah, I actually. I actually agree with you. I think he's going to have a 25 goal season or let's go let's you know let's go bold. 30 goal season next year for Trevor Zegers. He's Zegris. shooting 11% this year. Yeah, I'm going to go 30 goal season for Trevor Zegers next year. 30. Yeah, I'll go 20 20 to 25, but a lot of assists. That'll yeah. that'll get him to that number. Yep. All right. So, for those of you in the Twitch chat, throw your questions in uh or actually, I should start with that. We're on YouTube. So anyone on YouTube watching us, yes, we're on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Crash Uh You can go support us there. Like, subscribe to our videos. Um, or if you're on your favorite podcast services, please check out our Twitch stream every single Monday at 8 p.m. We will go live at twitch.tv slash Crash where you can help support the show. And it helps out more than you can imagine. If you have Amazon Prime, you get one free Twitch Prime gaming sub each and every month and you can be just like bionic chris uh who gifted a sub to app ag fat geralt who resubbed for 13 months and bionic chris also gifted a sub to m hendrickson so thank you guys so much so get your questions into the twitch chat i'm actually gonna go we got a couple uh from twitter dm so we'll start with this uh while people start getting their questions in this came from owen lally said hey jake i know the pod uh if you had to pick there i realized there was a bunch of things at the top that didn't need to get read if you had to pick one x duck and team to win the cup uh lindholm boston raquel pittsburgh or manson abs or i guess deloria wild if you wanted who would you most want to see win a cup for him it would be uh raquel uh, and pittsburgh mostly because raquel has been his favorite player and he'd love to see the pens and crosby get another one i would actually agree with that just because i want to see raquel thrive in Pittsburgh, I want to see him kind of be that next guy to ride shotgun with Crosby and Malkin and, and I, do well. And I also think that he's not locked up to a contract next year. And I think Raquel thriving would do wonders for his value and get him paid significantly. And so well, neither someone, is Manson. Yeah, but Manson, Manson, I feel like it's just neither is Delorier. Like what? Well, like what? <laughs> I think Manson's going to shoot himself in the foot by wanting going wherever, going to a not the place that offers him the most. Why do you think that? I think that based upon the way his no trade clause was structured, I think he's probably going to end up in California or Florida would be my bet. (laughs) Why is that such a bad thing? No, it's not. But that, that limits his ability to get a big contract. Right. Whereas I think Raquel is uh, him kind of going on this run is going to make him very uh, enticing to a lot of teams. Well, I I think the other good one is Cogliano. I mean, I know he wasn't on the True. list, but but he's a former duck, True. and he's got a damn good chance with Colorado. That, that's a good point, and I think yeah. that that includes Manson and Cogliano. I think I honestly, I'll probably root for all three of the teams. Maybe not Boston. I don't really like the Bruins wow, that much. Real, real selective, eh? <laughs> I mean, I I can just say I don't like the Bruins. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't care for the Bruins. Yeah, I mean, obviously you don't. Yeah. Um, all right, and this came from uh, our good friend Trevor Zegras. Said a few questions. Uh, do you think a seven-year deal to Philip Forsberg would make sense? He's on, still only twenty-seven years old, and a line of Forsberg, Zegras, Terry would be great. 
Uh, no, I would not. I wouldn't no. do that. He, his age doesn't really align with this Ducks core, and especially with the cap hit that he's going to require. I mean, it's, it's going to be the, it's going to be insane. It, the, it's the exact logic of why we said they need to trade uh like, trade Lindholm. If we were to say sign Forsberg to that deal, we would basically be complete hypocrites after yep, everything. Exactly. We've said. <laughs> yeah. And then he said, "Which NHL player do you guys think Olin Zellweger will be similar to in his career, past or pre? Uh, uh, players from the past, basically." So, I mean, I think that the Sam Gerrard thing has been made a lot, but I actually don't... I think he's going to be better than Gerrard well, so the way he's been playing. So that's the thing, is that I think that, you know, Olin Zellweger, he he has, like, the similar physical stature and kind of the skating of uh, Gerrard, but he's so much more aggressive and intelligent offensively that I that I think he he's on a... He's I on mean... A, he, I mean, you know who he kind of reminds me of? Um much lower scale, much lower scale. Kale McCarr? Yes, because yeah. because Kale McCarr from the blue line is always looking to attack. He's always looking to create. He's always playing off of that blue line and beating guys one-on-one, beating guys in transition. I don't see as much of um, Adam Fox in Olin Zellweger because I think that Zellweger is just more aggressive. He's got better hands. You know, he's just got those quick hands that maybe, a, I mean, Adam Fox has great hands too, but... I just see a lot of Kale McCarr, which I know might sound hyperbolic, but we're just talking play style, and that's what I yeah. see in Zellweger. Yep, exactly. Um, all right, so this comes from P Blaster 7 Will Silverberg ever re- recover his scoring touch again? No. I mean, no. It, I mean, this is exactly what we talk about with aging curves, right? It's, yeah. it's not just necessarily uh, decline in skill due to age. Well, it's also the fact that your body breaks down after the number of minutes that you have, and that's I don't what know we're if we seeing even- with have we even talked about Silverberg's blood clot situation? No, we actually haven't. So, I mean, the report is that he has a blood clot in his leg, and I think they're not, they don't seem to think that it's serious. And then he, I don't know if he'll be back this year, could be back late. But yeah, just a really tough situation for, for Silverberg, who's had his run of health issues at this point in the last couple of years. Yep. All right. So it's time for that part, part of the show, folks. Do we have to do this? We'll do a quick one. Do we, we have to we, do this? We didn't do lose last week, so we got to do it this week. Okay. CarMax Yukon. <laughs> Why? Why are we doing this? Okay. CarMax Yukon. Okay. Let uh, me see. This is basically Alaska. CarMax. How do you spell CarMax? Oh, see, I see. Like CarMax. Well, M-A-C-K-S. No, it, yeah, that's not how I would think to spell CarMax. Well, but yeah. that's your fault. Um, oh God, this is very remote. Holy. There's, there's a hotel. Holy mackerel. Also, it's, where does that term come from? Holy mackerel. What, what? I don't understand. It anyway. probably was someone fishing and they got a mackerel and they were like so surprised that they got a mackerel. The hotel Carmax on the, on the edge of the beautiful Yukon river. This is a, this is a dirt street. <laughs> this is a shed this this hotel is a shed i mean it's a big shed but it's a shed nonetheless yeah this is a dirt road uh not paved there is just nothing there's a hundred reviews by the way hundred how many how many of these are just trolls 100 reviews of hotel carmax all right i'm reading a review don't care don't care what anyone says um okay let's see should we get a bad review there's a one out of five. Oh, it's an RV site. Don't care about that. 
Let's just go with the most recent, whatever. This one is from... Oh, hi, Doggo. There's a dog in the, the Google Street View. <laughs> what oh, is hi, with, Doggy. What is with people and when they see any dog in the street, they have to just go like ape shit over the dog? Oh, hi, Doggy. It's just like, why is that a I, reflex? I hope someone gets that reference right there. I don't get it. Um, okay, yeah, this review from Crystal Vanderworken. Uh, five out of five, seven months ago. Like, I just want to know what brings people... Like, what brings you to this neck of the woods, uh, you know, of the, the edge of the Yukon River, uh, basically in Alaska? Anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed the pure variety that this location... What variety? You're, you're, in the, you're in the middle of nowhere. Okay, I'll try to get through this. With oh, this is a content. long one. I thoroughly enjoyed the pure variety that this location offered. After so long of a journey, I welcomed the fantastically stocked and plentiful selection of the grocery store. Whatever you needed, you could find there. The bar offered a very pleasant staff and lovely atmosphere to enjoy a cold beverage following a long day. The restaurant food was delicious. I was in town for several days, and every single staff member encountered was very knowledgeable and extremely pe- pleasant as well. Certainly manage your expectations, as this is not a metropolis. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that clarifier. You know, I, I, we could kind of figure that out by looking at the map. Uh, as this was not a metropolis, but a long cared for and managed family operation that has been servicing the small community, along with the abundance of there's an abundance of tourists passing through for a great many years. The RV park was excellent as well. Very pretty compared to many that you come across when traveling. I was impressed with the fact that they were well-staffed during a time when it was very difficult for employers to find employees. Holy mackerel, what a review. Like, that is the that is the kingpin of reviews for the Hotel CarMax. There's, I don't think... There, you, there's a CarMax college. Yeah, like, what is going on here? Like, like I'm so confused now. Like, there's, why are... There's, there's a college here. Why it's are like people, a bill? It's like a building. Why are building? People, why are people going to to Carmax so much? Very confused. You worry too much. Is that another reference? Yes. Okay. Well, at least I picked up on that. <laughs> um, at least they knew that it was a a reference. I guess maybe there's a lot of salmon in these rivers. Interesting. Wild caught. Get you some wild caught salmon in these rivers. I'm down for All right. that. <laughs> Want to do one more city? Or are you good? my heart says yes so yes okay this one comes from uh that guy bobski uh where is it watson lake yukon watson lake yukon why are we picking on yukon i don't know i'm not the person that picked these cities oh god let's see where is this so this is this is actually further south this is on the the border of british columbia so a lot further south um yeah this is there's does not appear this this is no metropolis either uh to quote our 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 review there let's see there is a rv park there is a grocery store watson lake foods interesting street view for part of it okay um wow this is (laughs) this is interesting so the watson lake foods which i guess is just like a grocery store this is the first review for it, and this is from uh, the name is Pagan Wear. So make of that what you will. Um, wow, five star review, congested, but fair price compared with other supermarkets in town. Also, wide variety of items available. Very many French Polynesia folk shop here. I'm so confused. Like I'm baffled by that review. First off, congested. Like how many freaking people are in Watson Lake, Yukon? And secondly, the French Polynesian comment just, again, very confusing. 
Um, there is a uh, place called the Dragon's Den Motel and Shocker. The first uh, review from three years ago said uh, it looks sketchy. <laughs> Shocker, a place called the Dragon's Den Motel is is sketchy. Thirty so thirty six reviews and it's got two point six stars out of five. The most There's like dragons logos over the over the beds. So this one this review is one out of five from Lauren Toribio. I'm not gonna read the whole thing, it's pretty long, but <laughs> I love this line. The room had a smell to it, like a mixture of cigarettes and something else. There's a picture <laughs> there's a picture that looks like Salem's in the in the Oh in the god, room. get this. The towels, although folded, had stains on them. <laughs> The television wasn't working. I didn't feel clean in that room. I was so relieved when we finally left. There was no... Okay, I'm, I'm not going to keep going. But uh, yeah, stained towels. Oh, dear. Oh, my. It's not, it's not, it's not what you want. I just want to... I really want to get L- Lauren Toribio on Truth Serum and ask her what she was referring to when she said cigarettes and something else. <laughs> That's what I want to know. Wow. We, we had a good one then. I, th- yeah. I, think, I think we're good. I think I think we're squared away. Yeah, yes. this this was a good shit show. <laughs> All right. Well, anything else? Any final? Oh, Jake just muted himself. It's okay. It looks like he's grabbing his cat sail in the background. I will try to wrap us up before Jake interrupts me here really quickly. So, if you have been enjoying our show, there are a few ways to support us to help us keep this thing going. The number one way, the way that you will get the most benefit out of, in my opinion is to check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash crash the pond. There are t- three tiers of support. For $1 a month, you get access to our patrons-only Discord server. And this is a thriving community of diehard Ducks fans, people that are just there to talk hockey, have a good time. Um, as you can tell, we also get a little off-topic. Jake is now showing us a picture of his cat on the screen. So she looks you. she looks absolutely insane, so that's why I'm not picking her up. So yeah, for a, so for a dollar a month, um, I, I really highly recommend the Discord. It's my favorite place to talk hockey. Um, you basically get to join a group of friends is the way I would describe it. Very welcoming group of friends. Now, for $5 a month, you get access to two bonus episodes. And we actually did one this past weekend where we broke down every single trade of the trade deadline. And I think my favorite part of that was just our disgust for some of these meaningless deals that occurred on deadline day. But so, we don't, so, so you mean most of the deals? So the, like more than 50% of them. Um, but on that show, we do we go more in depth on the Ducks. You know, We'll do like prospect rankings, different things like that. We'll also do league-wide rankings. We'll look at, we'll, we pick our awards winners. We do our Stanley Cup playoff predictions, uh, which are going to be coming up soon. I mean, in not too long, we'll be, we'll be having to make those predictions. Um, so that's for $5 a month and for $15 a month, you are uh, greatly, greatly appreciated. Yeah, and by the way, we have the running segment that we should get to of reading from our food take our food channel, which is uh, oh. yeah. JJ JJ Stone this, this Drums. Is, this, this is in the Discord server. Yeah, JJ Stone Drums uh, says uh, Del Taco greater than Taco Bell. That's correct wrong. Take. That's that, wrong. Correct take. Everyone and knows gr- that's wrong. Green Baster also says creamed corn is disgusting. Correct take. That's that's actually true. Um, that that is a correct take. But other ways, both, you of can, the, both of them correct. Other ways you can support us: check out our Apple Podcast page, search "Crash the Pond," leave us a rating and a review. Those help a ton. We will read your review on the show. You can also find us on Spotify. Leave us a rating there. Find us on YouTube, YouTube.com/slash/CrashThePond. You get to see the video version of the show. Leave us a comment there. We will get back to you. Um, and make sure to turn on your notifications on YouTube so you can know when our videos go up. Check out our website, crashthepond.com, and make sure to check out crashthepond.com slash shop. We actually have 
Some fun Mug- little additions. Coffee mugs, stickers. Ooh, I can actually show. This is the big sticker. So Oh, probably, that's nice. You probably don't want to order this size for most water bottles or things, but uh, this gives you an idea. The sticker actually came out really nice. Yeah, and we have the sticker in the two different color variations. Same thing with the mug. So we have the eggplant and jade uh, version. So if you're a if you're an old school fan or you just want to harken back uh, to the glory days of the Mighty Ducks, you can get that one. Or you can get the more modern orange and black. And so if you get a sticker, if you get a coffee mug, uh, make sure to take a picture and, and tag us. You can find us on social media at Crash the Pond is on Twitter and on Facebook. Jake is on Twitter at Reindeer Games 91. And I'm on Twitter at Felix underscore Sicard. That is going to do it for us tonight. It's been a fun show. Wishing you a great week. And uh, have a good April Fool's. It's Friday. Start thinking about what you're going to do. How you're going to prank someone. Why I know, are you I, like this? I already why have like a, this? I already have a few up my sleeve. <laughs> oh, I don't, oh, why? <laughs> I've gotten you pretty bad lately on non-April <laughs> Fools. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, okay. Well, anyway, folks, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye, everyone.